Well, good morning, everyone. I know we still have folks joining us, and we'll just let them chime in as we go. Um, if you have not muted and you will do that, that would be great. If we um, Sometimes we get interference from different kinds of sounds and that type of thing, so if we have that experience, we will try to mute all from here. Uh, but without that, we'll, uh, we'll kind of dive in. So, uh, my name is Paul Cornwell. I know many of you and I have met some of you, and uh, many of you, we were together a month or so ago when we did this uh, uh, Bible study hour just before the worship service. I have the great privilege of preaching in the worship service again today as well, and so I'm looking forward to that and appreciate your prayers as I, as I do that. Um, Allison and I are going to kind of tag team on this uh, particular hour. Um, and I'm going to share with you a little bit out of Philippians chapter 2. So if you have a Bible and you'd open to Philippians 2, that would be great. And then Allison's going to come and talk about some of the, the applications of that text, and especially relationally and so forth. And I'll let her describe what she's going to do uh, in the middle section. And then at the end, I'll come back and, and um, um, you know bring us to a conclusion. But I just want to kind of talk you through these first few verses of Philippians chapter 2, it's a really significant text of Scripture, we think, for a lot of reasons. And so as we open God's Word, let's pray together and ask Him to bring us to clarity on what He means in this text. So, so Father, first thank You for the morning. Thank You for life and the joy of life. And I certainly thank You for health and for wellness and pray for that for each person I know I was talking to an elder in another church up in Wisconsin yesterday, and he's been not feeling well. Uh, he got a COVID test. He's not positive. He's negative, and we praise God for that. But sometimes we don't feel good, and sometimes COVID is a fear of ours, and these things are very important to be careful about. And so we just want to thank you for your sovereignty in those things, for how you protect us, and we ask you to do that even as the some of the congregation at least comes uh, in today and actually worships in person and Lord, we thank you for the means that we have through uh, platforms like Zoom uh, to be able to have a good conversation with one another. Um, Lord, now we're going to study your word some. We're going to think out loud about how it applies to our lives and our relationships. And my prayer is that you would just open your word to us, that it would be clear um, that what we share uh, would be something helpful. Uh, and Lord, those things are always things that we need to look into and be Bereans and see if they are so, and if they are so, to apply, and if they are not, uh, to disregard even. And so I pray that you bring uh, clarity to each of us as to what your truth is and what it means and how it applies to our lives. Uh, as we hear those things, Lord, we think of Hebrews 3 when your word says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the day of provocation. So bring receptive hearts to us as we open your word, uh, as we trust you to work in us and in our lives. So I thank you for that in the strong name of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. So let me do one thing. Um, okay. Sorry, I'm taking a moment. I... Um, Jamie, I don't know if you're close to me or not, but I can't I can't find mute all, and I'm trying to make sure these other noises aren't happening. It doesn't seem to be. I don't. I don't. I just don't see it. Click more. 
more. Okay. No, my, my, uh, you don't have to brush in the water. Okay. Well, when, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, all the noise. We need to. Yeah. Thank you. Please. And you can just do it yourself and your hosting piece. I don't. I don't know at all. there folks thank you so much for your patience So I'm going to have Jamie take care of that technical piece and um, I'll just dive us in and you know try to use our time well so I know Philippians chapter 2 in particular verses 1 through 11 very familiar text of scripture for most of us uh, we understand the, the nature of the encouragement Paul is bringing at, in, in verse 1 and 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, and of course there is. There's, there's unbelievable encouragement in Christ. So we, since that's true, we have the opportunity to actually comfort one another from love and participate um, in any participation in the Spirit, any affection in, in, uh, and sympathy all those things are true. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one uh, and, and with one mind. Here are these wonderful truths of what the nature of unity is in the body of Christ and what it is that Christ has given to us. They're provisions for us. We would call them graces. Um, very much not deserved, and yet they are ours. And we can enjoy them and should and should dive into them, abide inside of them. Then in verse 3 and 4, he does something very specific. Now he's going to get directive to us. He's going to say things to do and not to do. And we need to hear this very clearly because of what he does in verse 5 and following. So I'll read verse 3 and 4, uh, point out what he's asking us to do, and then tell us why. Um, verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So here are these directives to us. No selfish ambition. Don't allow conceit to be the motivation for why you do something. We always have to look underneath and say, what's motivating me? Because it could be idolatrous. And like selfish ambition is one of the idols we think that the Scripture identifies, and I think Paul's identifying it here. But he's appealing to us to be humble so that we actually look at the other person at the same level we look at ourselves. We, we, we look at them and we make them significant, even more significant than ourselves. And then verse 4, this whole idea of interest. Now, Allison's going to talk about that idea of interest and what it is and how to apply it. So I'll allow her to do that. But just notice, you have interests that should be served, and so does the other person. So what he's requiring of us or requesting of us or commanding us, I'll let you put it in the frame you think it should be in. He's certainly exhorting us 
that we not only look out for our interests, and when we have a godly interest, it should be served, we should address it, but we also need to look out for the interest of the other person. Now, when I'm in conflict with someone, that's not an easy thing to do. It's a hard thing to do. I get, I get challenged by it, I mean, almost every time. Because I know what I want out of that setting. I know what my interest is. I know what I'm after. But, but do you hear the language? We even have to be careful because here's selfish ambition. I know what I want. <laughs> I, selfish. I want ambition. I'm out for something. He's warning us about that. That's a very normal flaw or sin or idolatry or motivation that human beings have. Most of us do. Most of us battle with it. And when we can see that, and, and his directive now is then to say, make that person more significant than yourself and equal their interest to yours. Bring them to the same level. So you serve your interest and you want your interest to be served. You also serve their interest and want their interest to be served. That's what he's asking of us. Now why? Verse 5, have this mind in yourself which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Well, he just described it in verse 3 and 4. That's what he's saying. I want you to have this. It was in Jesus. That's why we have it. Not just because Paul the Apostle is saying, hey, do this. Not just because it's a good idea. Not just because it's an it's a opportunity to live in harmony and peace and comfort. All those things he encourages in verse 1 and 2. But because Jesus did. And he's calling us to be like himself. Jesus has been calling us to be like himself to be made more like him every day, every day of his life. Come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. You know, pursue sanctification, yours and the other person's, as in Hebrews chapter 12. And so, and then verse 6 through 11 illustrate that. Now, I know you know that text, and it's a superlative text in the book of, in, in the book of Philippians, one of the greatest texts in the whole of Scripture, I personally think, because it defines what Jesus did. So I want to just describe it, and then I'll have Allison come and talk with us about how we apply this text. Jesus came into this world with an interest. He had a personal interest, and that interest was to have fellowship with the Father, not to have brokenness with the Father. He didn't want that at all. Matter of fact, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he sweat drops of blood over it. That's how tension-filled it was. I mean, serious it was to him. He wanted it desperately to stay in communion with the Father. It had never been broken before. However, we also had an interest. And our interest was the need for salvation, the need for a Savior, the need to be forgiven of our sin, the need to find a sacrifice for our sin because we could not do it ourselves. And Jesus knew that was our interest. So He elevated our interest of needing a Savior above His interest of not having a brokenness with the Father he went to the cross, died for us, demonstrating that He made us more significant even than Himself, and that He understood what our interest was, and He served that interest, even to the detriment of His own being served. So the next day on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cries out. I mean, it was a genuine thing. I mean, the whole sweating of blood uh, the night before in the Garden of Gethsemane just showed how intense this was for Him. It was an amazing, amazing time. And now he's earned something. And what he's earned is my allegiance and your allegiance. We, we uh, you know, down at verse 10, 
that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's the result. And he earned that. And so he's calling, Paul is calling us to have that same attitude that Jesus demonstrated for us with one another. And so um, I'm going to let uh, ask Allison to come now and have her share with us some applications of this, and, and then we'll, uh, we'll complete here in a little bit. Good morning. I could see you really over on my other, the other screen as well. And I just realized it's very um, tempting for me when I'm over there to just look at Paul, who's a few feet over, and then you guys see me doing this instead of looking at you. But um, Okay, there we go. There's some big square in the middle that I didn't like. Um, as Paul and I were thinking about what to do this morning, um, you know, we have, a, honestly, a lot of favorite things that we want to teach and talk about and listen to you about. My favorite way to teach is in a room with about 20 people, 15 to 20 people where they talk back and we have lots of time. It's my favorite way to teach. Um, or to learn, teach and learn. That, I mean, I think that's how we teach and learn because I hear you and you hear me and all of that. But really on my heart and my first choice was this uh, peace. There are always pieces and challenges and conflict that um, you know, are key to us being able to, to walk this better in a more godly way. To, um, and even, frankly, to be effective. To be effective in having a witness for Christ, of course, and to growing in sanctification, but also to be effective in deepening and continuing a relationship and living in community. So um, Paul read and talked about that passage for you guys, and a couple of things I want to pick up is that understanding interest, looking to the interest of others. Here are some adjectives that Paul the Apostle says, ways that he, what he says this is about. There's more in Scripture, but just in this passage, it's encouragement in Christ, it's comfort from love, it's participation in the Spirit, it's affection and sympathy. It's complete joy. It's humility. Now, I don't know everything about you. I know what God's Word says about you. But that's not natural for me. But it's what I yearn for and long for in Christ or as a Christian. And it's what God has said He is working in me that how could I not keep going with the rest of this passage when it's set up that this is what this is? Especially bookended with this is what Christ did. He exampled it. He exampled it all the way to the cross and through the separation from the Trinity and resurrection. I'm being exampled it. I'm asking to example it by being humble and considering the interest normally of people I love. It's not a lot to ask comparatively, right? Um, so how do I actually look to the interest of others? How do I consider them important, more important than my own? Which my own are very important to me. In a good way they are to me, to God. He's died for them. So how much more important are yours? 
elevates yours to a great degree for me. So one of the ways that, because I'm thinking I'm looking for humility, I'm looking for love, participation in the spirit, affection and sympathy, I need to die clearly to selfish ambition and conceit, um, and frankly, equality with God grasping, that's a phrase I use for myself. I don't actually use it, usually use it in teaching because I don't know how it lands, but I'm going to use it today. Equality with God grasping or grasping for equality with God. I've got to die to that. You know, it was Adam and Eve's sin, right? I've got to die to that. So how do I do that? What hurdles do I find? In it? So what hurdles do I need to jump? I'm going to assume... You guys, some of you, jump similar ones. Well, one thing I have to do personally is I've got to trust and believe that God has my interest. I've got to. I've got to remember the promises he's made me that he's completing the work in me. Otherwise, I get distracted and start grabbing, protecting, and yanking for mine. So I've got to press into and grow into believing that God's got those covered. Also, the humility of living in community, because I'm an introvert. I'm not shy, as you can tell, but I am an introvert. So if I really live into that, I think, okay, it's all good. I can just go off to my corner. So then I have to press into humility and living in community, and that, that I can't really live out being a Christian without other people to live it with and towards. So that's for me then I have to really buy into vulnerability. Because if I'm going to look at your interest, trusting that God has mine, knowing I'm going to live in community and let you also look at them, I've got to be vulnerable. I'm not really vulnerable. I know that spiritually because if God's got mine, but frankly, I'm going to experience vulnerability. And I've got to decide that's okay. That being vulnerable to you and with you is okay. I'm as protected as I never, ever need to be. And not only that, God's going to use you in my life to do what he has promised. So I have to lean into that. I have to be ready and eager then to see my own need to grow, my own interest cared for not just by me and God, but by you, what that means, you know, how that loses my control over it, my view over it, and those kinds of things. So that's what happens with me in order to look to to um, the interest of others. And then as I go towards them, I have to trust God with their interest, that he actually has them. So when it's going slower, I can be patient. When it's going faster, I can have the courage to keep up. You know, I need to know that ultimately he has their interest. I need to remember it believe it, function as if it's true. And then I need to take that biblically commendable responsibility for their interest, which you can go study this and think about this after I say it because we don't have time this morning to delve into this. But that biblically commendable responsibility where I'm faithful to consider their interest as more important than my own. But I can't make things happen. That's, I can't, I can't cause them to hear or see or believe, but I'm faithful in love towards them. I have a responsibility to consider their interests, to do oh, godly, biblically commendable attitudes and actions towards them. So I, I can be patient, 
I can go fast. I can even step back and say, in this awesome privilege, I can gather humility. I can live in the tension of needing to consider their interests as better than my, more important than my own, and actually humanly not sure I know for sure what they are, and still walk into that to discover and to mutually discover. And that's what love looks like when we walk into this awesome privilege with one another, with these kinds of things that play in our heart and um, as our um, context isn't what I want to say, but it's my best word right this minute, as our frame, our, our place, uh, where we're coming from. So now to bring that down um, to when we're in conflict, because I, I don't, we don't all find it challenging to consider your interests better than my own when you need to be served at the hospital or brought a meal or helped. We don't always consider, not all of us consider that as challenging. But in conflict, we do. We find it hard to see what interests are, mine or yours. So I'm going to give you some practical ideas of what to look at and not to look at how to look and how not to look, and some practical steps to take. Hoping that you just agreed biblically with the things I just said. If you don't and you don't draw from them, when you try to do what I'm saying, you won't be able to do it because your flesh will grab you. And I don't know how else to have the power to do this other than through Christ, who set an example. It's, not, it's just not natural. But... When we're in conflict, and I'm going to give you some pages in the seminar guide you can go and look at that also talk about this. I want to talk about it in the frame I'm talking about and not get distracted necessarily by that frame, but it will enhance and help you, and it gives you somewhere to go to see some of these words and some of these pieces. But what we do is we get, um, when we get in a conflict, we can break it down. There's an issue. That's the thing the conflict is about, Okay. If I want to eat on the way to the airport this afternoon and Paul Cornwell wants to wait and eat at the airport, that's the subject. That's the issue. Do, how do we get a meal between here and the airport? That's the issue. Um, what, me wanting to eat on the way is my position. That's my view. That's my understanding of how to resolve that issue. And I may even assign a bunch of moral things to it. I can, by the way. Um, and his answer to that issue, I really can. When I get going, man, can I build a case? Um, and his answer to that issue is, let's eat at the airport. Now, we have reasons why, right? And, and those things, our motivations are our interest. Maybe I'm thinking, we've been tired and busy. We could both, rep, you know, benefit from a little calm. Maybe he's thinking, you know, we don't need to be rushed getting to the airport or the food's more sanitary there. I don't know. I don't know until I ask him. But what my tendency to do is assume his interest and mine and that I've got, my, I've got the right interest and I just keep telling him. But we need some calm and we need to stop. Maybe I even hint at my interest. What I need to do then, though, is in humility and concern for his interests, not his view. Not his view. At first, I need to be concerned for his interests and say, okay, just give me, 
give me an idea of why that's important to you. Like, why should we, what makes that a priority to you? And he says, well, we need some calm. And I'm like, I agree. So I can serve that interest, right? We need some, um, I think we would, we will not be calm because we still won't be at the airport. We'll be concerned about missing our flights. Okay. I, maybe I, maybe I realize he has something he needs to do um, to serve another church or ministry or something coming up, and I have no idea, and he doesn't have any more time to hang out. Okay. I can be considerate of that. So you see where I'm going with this. Like, I don't know until I ask. I'm giving you a very simple example on purpose. I know they're complicated, but the process isn't any different. So, but I, I do that to illustrate the differences in the issue, the position, and the interest. And we often think our position is our interest, and it's not. It's our position, it's our view, it's our understanding of what should be done, accomplished as a result of our interest. So what I'm going to suggest is that as soon as you get stuck in that kind of conversation or thinking, that you pause. And I don't know if that pause looks like walking away or taking a deep breath, but you pause. Rethink. What is it I'm looking out for here? What is it that I am considering here? How am I bringing encouragement, comfort? Where am I here? What am I fighting for? Am I fighting? You know, I love the biblical word contending. I can contend for your interest. I can contend for understanding. I can contend for a lot of things without you being my opponent, right? I can contend for our mutual edification. But am I fighting? So pause, a deep breath. And, and in many ways, if we have longer to pause, we can prepare, we can pray, we can think this through, we can, we can reorient ourselves to our commitment to glorify God above all else, above our position, which actually might not be as glorifying to God as we're thinking it is, right? Because in all humility, we have to always be ready and eager to find out more, to see where we might not be as right as we think we are, either in our understanding, our ideas, our view, or even in our own heart. And there we get that clear vision, as we talked about in Matthew 7. So we do that. We pray, we prepare, we check our hearts, we look before God. Um, we have, and then we affirm, we affirm our commitment to these things, so to following Christ's example. We affirm our, the value of this relationship to us, of this person, which is more valuable to you than getting your way. Don't let that distract you. This person is more valuable to you, especially in Christ, than anything else, even if it's a ministry program or something. And so we affirm that, and then affirming that verbally with one another. Okay, you, loving you well in Christ is, is important to me. Uh, I'm getting to understand and, and consider your interests and serve them. That's what I'm about here. You know, let's do that. And then part of that is listening and how you listen. And this is one of the, let me double check something real quick. When is, what time does this end? Uh, 40, uh, uh, 10 o'clock. 10 o'clock, okay. Yeah. Um, thank you for that.
uh, is um, listening to understand, and it's, it's one of the hardest things to do, both because it's a hard skill, but also because our heart grabs us from it at every turn. So watch your heart, develop the skill. Listening to understand is when we listen to hear information that will impact our view, that will help us know more, that will cause us to be able to hear and understand and discover the other person's interest. When we're good at listening to understand, people actually will say things that cause them to understand more. That invitation to reveal is there. What we naturally do is we listen to either get the piece of information we think we need. In conflict, we normally listen to gather the pieces that support our view and our position. And we don't demonstrate that love for this person and that valuing their interest at all when we do that. Because we can't discover their interest. And this is a really critical piece because you can't consider another person's interest as more important than your own if you don't know them. And you don't know them from afar. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this strongly. No matter how many clues or evidence or data points you have, you do not know what a person is thinking or what their motivations are until you've asked them and listened to them. And even if they don't know and they tell you something that isn't true or accurate, you still don't know until you've listened to them. Because you can't even consider their interests that they're confused or blinded until you listen to them. Because you don't know, know what's going on inside of a person based on the outside evidence. Those are clues. That's it. Bring the clues to the conversation, but bring them as indicators, not proof that your insight is absolute. I promise you this will change your relationships and your life, and especially in conflict. And when you put that together with understanding what God's interests are for us, as we discover and express that humility and that care, that getting to mutual understanding of our interest, we actually end up with the awesome privilege and opportunity to serve one another's godly interest, to be part of one another growing in Christ-likeness, to be part of each other coming to a good answer to whatever the issue is, a biblically commendable answer. We also become and have the privilege and opportunity to help one another repent of our ungodly interest. Because when we discover an ungodly interest in me or in you, we need to help each other repent. And what we often do is we say, that position you have, it has an ungodly interest. You may use different language, but that behavior you're having, it has an ungodly interest. Change it. Move your view. Move your interest. Move your position. And that is not God's first thing to do with an ungodly interest. It's to repent of it. Die to it. Figure it out so that you can become disentangled in it. That's our privilege, right?
That's our privilege. And then as we, um, then we also, <laughs> let, me, let me not miss this one, can help one another stop serving godly interest in an ungodly way. We're all Christians, church people. I cannot tell you how many times in church conflict particularly, I, we discover everybody has godly interest and almost everyone's serving them in an ungodly way. And so that repentance and clarification, having that opportunity to be free from that and be part of one another, be free, being free from that. So let me um, say one more time. Listen. Ask. Be patient. If, you're ga- if you don't know what to think until you have that information, humbly gather it. Discover. Learn. Then pray and think and come back and talk about what you want to do about your differences in position, if they need to move or not, and what you want to do. God's got this. I know there are urgent things and urgent times, and those are clearer to you. But when we want to understand and serve one another's interest, we need to be willing to discover theirs and ours. So curiosity to that, and then the commitment to serve those godly interests that your brother or sister has, and allow them to serve yours. Paul's going to come back and say some more about this, and I am going to turn it over to him. Good. So I want to kind of illustrate this for you a little bit, just um, revealing perhaps a little bit of my life and a couple of things, experiences I had in my walk with Christ as I I grew up. Um, Probably if you and I were to have the privilege of being able to sit down and just get to know each other, we could talk about these kinds of things. And so that's really what I'm going to attempt to do in this next five minutes or so. So when I became a Christian, one of the New Testament books that became really valuable to me was the book of First John. Matter of fact, I read it hundreds of times and really worked through it. I translated it from Greek. I preached through it as a pastor. I mean, I did a lot of work inside that little book. And one of the underlying interests that I discovered in that book that God has, that He has for me and wants me to have, and He puts it into clear, very clear language uh, in First John 2, 17, he says, the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Well, I want to abide forever. <laughs> you know, I want eternal life. And he's saying, whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this will of God element for me has become one of the underlying interests of my life. I almost don't care about a lot of things so long as we get to the will of God. Uh, Honestly, when my wife and I went through our courtship and my uh, invitation to her engagement, marriage, you know, proposal, um, I was looking for the will of God and nothing less than the will of God, you know. She was too. So we had that common interest that led us to a place to where we joined together in matrimony and be husband and wife and those kinds of things. And I'll give you a really simple example. When Allison used the example a little earlier about do we eat on the way to the airport or at the airport, 
She does that because every day when we do this work, we go to lunch and dinner, and I always get in the car, and I'm, I'm not quite saying, where are we going? Don't ask me. I don't want to give any input to this. Just tell me where we're going. I'll go wherever, you know. I mean, that's what I want. I don't want to answer that question. And, and so, so there's, there's underlying interest, and even the edge of not wanting something. Here's this desire piece. I desire something. I don't want to be bothered with where we go to eat. <laughs> good food. I want good food. She knows I don't want to go to. I won't go to fast food. I don't eat fast food. I haven't eaten fast food in thirty years. <laughs> you know, to forty probably. It's just not of interest to me at all. You know, she knows that. So I know she's going to serve that underlying interest for me. But that desire gets in the way of that. You know, the the desire can actually harm that, and it can it can be pretty. Um, it can, it can be pretty devastating when you when you look at what is possible that could happen in the relationship over something as simple as where where do we go to eat so now I'll, I'll tell you a story some of you may have heard this story before I don't I'm not sure um, I lose track of which stories I tell where I don't tell all of them all the same places you know but um, when in my last pastorate we had a staff of seven of us and um, we were the senior leadership of the church and we had a lot of responsibility, and we're looking for God's will. This this very thing. Um, I'm not sure who's who's. If you're if you're not muted, make sure you mute. Thank you very much. Um, so we were looking very uh, clearly about what was God's leadership for something for the church. It was a massive thing. It was a big deal. Matter of fact, we took about seven months to work through it and figure out what it was. Now. I want to back up and tell you something I told the elders yesterday, by the way, your session yesterday. Um, at one point in my work with these folks, uh, they they came to me and they said, so um, why are we even discussing these things, Paul? You already know what you want. You know, Why don't you just tell us what it is and we'll just do it because that's where we're going to end up, what you want. And I went, oh my goodness. I'm a dominant, you know, I'm a dynamo evidently. I mean, I'm bowling people over. I'm... You know, I know what I think, and I prepare. I don't walk into meetings unprepared, never. It's just one of those factors of how I'm built and how my mama raised me, quite frankly. Um, and so I walk in ready. I know exactly what I think. But that comes across as a demand. So here, desire for God's will, deepest part of interest for me, and yet my staff was thinking they just... They just need me to tell them what to do, and I'll go. They'll go do it, and we'll be all fine. Cause it doesn't matter what they think, anyhow. Wow. Not following Philippians two, three and four. Elevating them to significance above myself. Verse three. Understanding their interests so that their interest and my interest can both be served. It wasn't happening. And so we worked very hard, and uh, honestly, at that time, I ended up using questions all the time in our meetings for a long time, quite frankly. I just stopped telling them what I thought. <laughs> you know, I just said, what do you think? And I turned every statement I would have made into a question. That's the skill. I turned every statement I would have made into a question and invited their input and gained their their interests, gained understanding of their interests and understanding of where they were. Because sometimes we want things in an ungodly way. And I don't want to want things in an ungodly way, but I do. 
And I don't want them to want things in an ungodly way, but they do. And when we can identify those ungodly things, we can separate them out to get to what is God's will here and what is He really out for us to do. You know, so so we came to this big decision. And honestly, we took a long time to deal with it. We did a lot of listening and listening to understand. And I, I mean, I genuinely took a back seat uh, in a lot of ways. Now, I made sure that they could hear me and they could understand what I thought because I'm one of seven. I'm not, I'm not out of the picture. It wasn't like I wasn't important in the picture. I was. But was I the domino? No. Everything falls according? No, 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 no. I didn't, I didn't even want that. That was not what I wanted at all. I, I looked at one of our staff guys one time, and a very important pastor in our church, and I just turned to him and I said, Man, I need to hear your voice. I need to understand you. Help me understand you, you know? And so there's that, that piece that Allison was talking about and foundational to actually being a humble person is understanding the other person and not just assuming, not just running past or not just demanding our desire, not, 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 not to, but serving those interests. And so we worked very, very hard at getting to the point where we worked very diligently at getting to the point where we could understand what the Lord really wanted in, in that in that picture. And quite frankly, when we came down to the bottom line of deciding, um, we didn't vote. By the way, we didn't we didn't use a voting methodology. We used a different methodology to dis, to determine things. But when it came down, if we had voted, it would have been six to one. And guess who the one was? <laughs> I would have voted opposite. I actually wanted the opposite answer that we decided on and agreed to and committed ourselves to. But we got there because it was the will of God. What, what I wanted turned out not to be the will of God. You know. Now at that moment, I, didn't, I honestly didn't know that. I actually didn't learn that until a few years later. And when I, because I was disappointed because it didn't go my way. I mean, I had all those emotions, all that was real. But when we can give ourselves to this text and say, God, work inside of us. Give us the humility of Christ. I mean, humility is not me succumbing to someone else or bowing down. or It's not that. Humility is understanding what Christ did, who Christ is, how He humbled Himself, and allowing Him to build that character into us. Humility is His character, not mine. And it's powerful when we start thinking about it that way and attempting to live out those kinds of principles. So we bring this to you today because we think it will be helpful to you personally, to your families, uh, to Wallace Church, uh, um, to the, the kind, especially when you get into those tension points or the big decisions like that decision we made a number of years ago you know where the seven of us had to had to come to a conclusion and we did and we let our we led our congregation to adopt that conclusion and abide inside and live by that conclusion we we did that we and I did it wholeheartedly you know because we we got there not just me but we did so so the power of this is a big deal we think that Christ calls us to this in Philippians chapter 2 and He's the model of it. He's the example of it. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing when you think in terms of, uh, of that example. So I know it's time for us to go here in, a, in two minutes, and 
Uh, I just wanted to say thank you so much for allowing us to have the privilege of, you know, speaking again this morning and sharing from God's Word in Philippians chapter 2, uh, thinking out loud about how that practically applies uh, in, in many settings, but certainly in conflict settings. Um, and the, the opportunity for me to speak in about 30 minutes here or, uh, or so in the worship service, um, I'm, I do appreciate your prayers as I, as I do that. I hope that you understand what I'm saying today in my message and that, you, um, that you'll consider it. That's what I'm going to ask you to, that's what I'm going to ask you to do. So Father, take us now from this study of your word and uh, help it just to ruminate inside of us and us to pray and think and uh, engage those things that uh, we see that are genuinely of you. Um, use those things in our relationships with one another. Uh, Philippians 2 is a very clear text. We know that. I pray that you use it now uh, in each of our lives and certainly in the life of Wallace Church. Trust you for that in my life, in my family, in my local church, uh, in Allison's, in her family, uh, in her local church. I pray those things in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you and thank you. Thank you. Indeed.